Welcome to the Fleet FYI's podcast, the weekly podcast by Utilimark that reveals how you can make the most of your data for smarter fleet management. My name is Gretchen, and every week I'll be sharing with you not only over two decades worth of data insights, but some of the industry's hottest talking points and key metric analysis with the aim to help you better understand your fleet from every angle. Before we begin, if this is the first time you've heard our show, Thanks for stopping by. Once you finish today's episode, if you could take a few minutes to leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform, I would really appreciate it. Give us a rating, five stars, I hope, or tell us what you liked or leave us a comment or a question about what you've heard in today's episode. If we haven't yet covered a topic that you're interested in hearing more about, let us know. We would be happy to go over it in detail in a later episode. Let's dig in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Fleet FYI's podcast and the fourth and final part of our EV Tech series. Before we dig in, I wanted to let you know, if you didn't already, that we've just published a resource on how leading fleets across the world are integrating and reporting on electric vehicles and their fleet for 2023 and beyond. We're covering everything from manufacturer preferences, charging vendors, reporting types, and integrated strategy. It's all packed in, and I can't wait for you to get your hands on it. If you're keen, head over to utilimark.com, www.utilimarc.com forward slash surveys to grab your free copy today. If you've already had a peek through, I'd love to know your thoughts. You can send me an email or tag me on LinkedIn, and we can have a chat about them if you like. But without further ado, that leads me into the topic of today's show, the fourth part of our EV tech series, like I mentioned, chargers and electric payload. Let's jump in. So we all know by now that delivering the necessary amounts of power to a vehicle is no small feat, especially for vehicles that are frequently used and driven long continuous distances. Whilst battery technologies exist for heavier class vehicles like city buses, a good example here is the city of Los Angeles recently ordered about 130 new e I was going to say EV buses, electric buses is what I meant. Charging these large battery banks can keep vehicles off the road for long periods of time because it takes so long. And even now, as electric heavy-duty vehicles have been on the road for a few years, most EVs are still going to be charged at low power stations as they're the most accessible and these are the level one and level two chargers that I'll go into more detail on later on in the show. However, as we move to electrify these heavier duty vehicles, extreme fast charging solutions will need to be necessary in order to keep up with the demand. But first, let's talk about the different plug types and charging manufacturers, because I think that's a good part to start this episode off with. So when it comes time to plug in your battery-powered electric vehicle, there are several different technologies available for you to choose from. The first level of complexity is in the type of connector or plug used to attach to a charging station port. AC connectors like the J1772, known more commonly as Type 1 chargers, 
Medicaids or type 2 or a GBT AC are the common connector types, depending on the region of the world you reside in. That, that's a really big part of this whole piece here. So similarly, DC connector or direct current connector types consist of CCS1. I call it a CHAdeMO, even though I'm not sure if that's actually how you pronounce it. The acronym is C-H-A-D-E-M-O, a CCS2 or a GBT DC charger. Tesla, which is the major EV automaker, we're all familiar with them by now, also has their own proprietary charging sockets for AC or DC charging. And some of these companies also specialize in producing specific levels of charging stations, but have all emerged as major players in the bigger electric vehicle picture around the world. Ultimately, while charging stations offer different utility using APIs, apps, or involved customer support, the concept is pretty consistent across the board. You'll find the largest differences between charging stations are largely due to the size and the power output of any given station. It's not always so much about the plug. I mean, that is a big part of it, but it's more so about the power level here. At least that's what we're focusing on in this episode today. So for example, these level one chargers that I've been on about, they're the slowest and the lowest level of power chargers that you could have, which adds about I would say roughly three to five miles of range per hour that the vehicle is actually charging. There's no installation required because you can plug it into a standard 120 volt outlet. That's the kind that are in, you know, your house, in your kitchen. A lot of people have them in their garages. You can just plug it into an outlet like that and it'll charge your vehicle as overnight. Typically, those are the ideal solutions for typical EV drivers like you or I that can leave their vehicles plugged in overnight and for a certain portion of the day. Level 2 chargers are a little bit different. Now, they offer more power than a level 1 charger. They add probably about, and I should say, depending on um, the infrastructure available to you, between 12 and 80 miles of range per hour that it charges. And they actually do require some infrastructure, although it is minimal, with the installation of a 240-volt outlet in compliance with the National Electric Code, otherwise known as the NEC. And, you know, you can see people, even like you or I, or even fleets across the world using these Level 2 chargers. And they actually tend to be a more popular option because even though they carry the higher price, this higher power production actually makes them incredibly attractive as an option for businesses that require charging infrastructure for EVs. Now, last but not least, we have level three chargers, and these are the fastest available chargers on the market today, adding between two and 30 miles of range per minute, not hour, per minute that they're charging. So direct current or DC charging means that AC, alternating current, power from the grid itself is converted right in the charger and supplies direct current directly, say direct one more time in a sentence, please, Gretchen, into the battery itself. Now, the challenge with this is that such high voltage um, and the infrastructure that you need to support this comes at a really, really high cost, and it's not readily available in all areas, no matter where you are in the world. And a quick note on AC versus DC power AC power can be transported over long distances, and it's typically what's used in all electric grids. However, electric vehicle batteries require DC power to charge. So 
Because level one and level two chargers do not have built-in converters, they require the conversion from the AC grid into DC power via an onboard charger, an OBC, in the vehicle itself. This is the primary reason for the differences in charging speed. Remember the first two we were talking about a per hour rate and the DC fast charger we were talking about a per minute rate. So with these level three DC chargers, conversion is done within the charger itself before it even enters in the vehicle, making the whole charging process much more efficient and way faster as a result. So that's why a lot of people tend to like those, especially if they're going on a long trip or they have a long route that they need to take. Extreme fast charging solutions have been developed by organizations like the Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Laboratory, who created the ABB 350 kilowatt charger, capable of seven times more power than the typical fast charging solutions on the market today. A 50 kilowatt level three charger will still take overnight to charge the 600 kilowatt hour batteries implemented into large commercial vehicles, while the ABB 350 kilowatt extreme fast charging solution can manage the feat in just a few hours. So there's, again, there's still some more options even within this DC space that are really, really interesting to take note of and really cool, I think, to track the progress. However, so with this progress, though, come numerous concerns, especially when we're looking at high power solutions. Liquid cooling solutions are required on both plug and cord to maintain safe electrical standards, and cybersecurity can become a massive issue because sudden changes to such a high power grid access point could damage or destabilize the entire local grid. What does that mean for electric load profiles? I think it's really important to understand exactly what a charging event might look like in terms of electric load. I think this will help, um, you know, not just anyone looking at the topic, but really it'll help us all understand what challenges the grid might actually be facing, as well as some of the physical limitations of charging a battery quickly and efficiently, because of course there will be some. The temperature of charging events impacts charging speed, and this is actually seen a lot in low temperatures where charging during these lower temperatures can actually be up to 3% slower rather than those done at an optimal temperature. If we even look at a high temperature, so say for example greater than 25 degrees Celsius, for my Fahrenheit folks that's about 70 degrees roughly, I'm not doing my actual conversions right now, but that's beyond the point. A DC charger is often throttled to preserve the overall battery health. Electric load is also dependent on the available sockets at a charging station, too. A charge point station with two 400-volt connections, for example, might see a 7% or up to 7% drop in charging speed if both of the ports are being used at the same time. Like I mentioned before, an electric vehicle battery requires a DC current to charge with. So that basically, in the case of all chargers, except for those of level three fast chargers, it requires the conversion of AC power from the grid into this direct current DC power. This is done through, like I said, the onboard charger, the OBC, on to 
in the vehicle already. And depending on the charge type, either the onboard charger or the level three charger is responsible for the conversion of this AC power into DC via the use of what's called an inverter. So this process is not 100% efficient as energy will be lost during the power inversion, as one might logically assume. And this is done so in the form of heat. So such inefficiencies are lessened at a high voltage, which is one distinct advantage of DC fast charging technology, where DC stations can perform this initial conversion at greater efficiency than an onboard charger. Less heat production, less energy wastage. Another key aspect to powering electric vehicles is the regenerative braking capabilities, and that's an important thing to note here. Additional complexity is added in the circuitry in order to capture energy from regenerative braking, otherwise called RB, if you're looking at you know, your EV manual right now. In an RB mode, if the throttle is no longer engaged, the engine will reverse and capture kinetic en- energy from the deceleration of the vehicle, which I think is kind of a cool process in itself. And this energy is converted using the bi-directional DC-DC converter, which mitigates the appropriate load to the battery and restores battery charge. Now, regenerative braking is an important factor for overall EV efficiency and allows electric vehicles to be competitive, especially in scenarios where acceleration and deceleration are frequent, like with city driving, for example. I want to dive into a specific use case here because I think it will probably be pretty valuable to the folks listening here today. So for you listening here today, and I want to talk about EPTO to be more specific. Now, this is very relevant to utility vehicles and municipalities, um, and I think these EPTO units, they're a tempting consideration for many utility fleets, especially who wish to eliminate unwanted noise at a work site, as well as, you know, reduce any unnecessary idling time on an internal combustion engine or greenhouse gas emissions, you know, the whole lot. EPTO units are often driven by a rechargeable battery, which is why it's called electric PTO, or it's driven by a fuel cell, which provides a clean quiet and renewable power source that can be used indoors with no associated emissions at the time of use. Now, these units would have many of the same considerations as an electric vehicle for business operations. They would require the nightly battery charging, but might offer less overhead associated maintenance costs. Alternatively, some EPTO units are more analogous to hybrid vehicles and make use of a small capacity battery, which is directly charged from the internal combustion engine, which is ideal for the start and stop applications like a refuse truck, for example, and municipalities could get some value out of this too. As the transition to this fleet electrification movement actually intensifies, a lot of fleet managers have actually been looking to incorporate EPTO units as a stepwise solution for greenhouse gas emissions reduction if they're not quite ready to electrify their full fleet, or maybe it's not the best decision for them overall. We do have some episodes earlier on in this show if you want to learn more about EPTO. If you go into the Fleet FYI's directory and search Volta Power Systems, that is a really, really great resource where Jack Johnson from Volta actually came on to talk about the difference between a regular PTO uh, vehicle and then an EPTO vehicle and the benefits, pros and cons of both. So if you're interested, take a look back in the archives. There's some really good content for you there. But I'm going to move on because I want to talk about GHG emissions. So when we talk about EPTO as a stepwise solution for greenhouse gas emissions reduction, this might be an emission solution that might punch above its weight, for example, because an idling engine has been shown to produce up to twice the exhaust emissions of an engine in motion. 
EPTO units could be very cost-effective. You know, one vendor claims a single EPTO unit on a bucket truck could save a few thousand gallons of fuel per year, and that's certainly no small feat. But ultimately, the choice to install an EPTO unit could have a variety of benefits. And whilst the primary benefits are GHG emission reduction and fuel cost savings, the reduction of noise pollution and bettering of air quality by elimination of the exhaust fumes could even facilitate new use cases for certain equipment in confined or indoor spaces. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever been near a construction site and you hear that constant idling of vehicles all day, or even if you've worked on one and you're just like, oh my gosh, I don't want to listen to the thrumming of the vehicles over and over and over again, EPTO could be a great solution to that. You might not even know that you were by a construction site. You never know. But I would love to hear your thoughts on the topic. Do you have any questions about EPTO, charger types, electric payload? Please, please, please let me know. Like I said earlier in the show, you can email me, you can tag me on LinkedIn, or you can use the hashtag UtilamarkFleetFYIs. It's super, super easy to find us, and we'd love to chat. At least, I know I would. And also, if you could let me know if you'd be interested on another deep dive into electric vehicles, perhaps more on the data side. We have some plans for this in the future, but I'd love to know if you'd like to see another series or listen to another series based on that. I think it's kind of cool, but... I'll leave it up to you guys. Anyways, before I go, I wanted to mention that if you haven't already, and if you're subscribed to the show and you're enjoying our episodes every single week, I would love if you could give us a review on your favorite podcasting platform, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you know the drill. It really supports our show and it helps even more people like you find us as well, which I always love to see and I love to welcome new people to the Fleet FYI's family. So please leave us a review. I would really appreciate it and it really helps support not only me, but Utilimark and the entire Fleet FYI show. That's all from me this week. So if you tune in next week, you will be ready and in store for a fantastic interview with our very own Director of Analytics, Paul Milner, as we dive into the life cycle of an EV and all of the data surrounding it. Ciao. Hey there, it's me again. I think it's time to cue the virtual high five because you've just finished listening to another episode of the Fleet FYI's podcast. If you're already wanting more on all things fleet and vehicle technology, head over to utilimark.com, which is utilimark with a C, U-T-I-L-I-M-A-R-C.com for this episode's show notes and extra insights coming straight from our analyst to you. That's all from me this week. So until next time, I'll catch you later.